Hello and welcome to the latest edition of NFU Talk. My name is Kevin Pierce. I'm the NFU's Director of Membership and I'm your host for this discussion on the Environment Bill, which is currently being debated in Parliament. To bring this subject to life, I'm delighted to welcome my colleagues, Dr. Andrew Clark, the NFU's Director of Policy, and Dr. Dan Mitchell, who is the Chief Environment Advisor. Welcome, Andrew and Diane. The bill, the bill does have a bit of history. It was first introduced actually back in October 2019, but it fell because we ended up with the general election, of course, in December. Then it was reintroduced again in January 2020, and it started the parliamentary process before it was suspended mid-March again. And then finally, it was reintroduced last week. Now it stretches to over 200 pages. So I guess the real question is, what's this all about? Because we don't want to talk about 200 pages. So Andrew, perhaps you could start by just giving us a, a brief overview about what is the main scope and you know what's the purpose of this bill? Okay, uh, thanks, Kevin. I mean, look, this is a really important piece of legislation, uh, a bit of the legacy, uh, which I think uh, ministers want to leave. And uh, we know the Conservative Party been talking about leaving the environment in a better place than they inherited it for, uh, well, right the way back to David Cameron's time in uh, the mid-2000s. Um, so uh, it, it strives from the Environment White Paper, published by Theresa May back in January 2018. Uh, yes, it's a lengthy piece of uh, legislation. 133 clauses, 19 schedules. Uh, but there are two roles that it's trying to fill. First of all, it's trying to uh, replace that environmental oversight that the European Commission used to provide as a, uh, a judge and jury on every member state's environmental ambitions and the way that environmental policies were taken into account uh, across the board. And the other part is actually implementing uh, many of the aspects of the 25-year environment plan uh, that was introduced in terms of environment white paper back in 2018. Um, there is loads in there, which I know we'll go be talking about in this uh, uh, broadcast. Uh, but I think there's some important things around waste, around water, about nature, about air quality, all detailed actions in there. Uh, it's about setting targets for government, uh, and those targets got to be in place by 2022. Um, it's about setting up new governance arrangements. Um, and I think many of these are not going to have direct, well, they might do, but uh, many of them will have indirect impact on farming activity because we are environmental managers alongside our food production role. I see that there's already been some amendments, haven't there, that, that were being tabled, particularly around the role of um, natural England and giving them functions for protected sites and all. Uh, are those what we were expecting? Are those, you know, the sorts of things that needed to be covered off, as you say? Yeah, I mean, there is, I think the, the, the biggest sort of uh, new function is going to be granted to the Office of Environmental Protection. Uh, right. And, and that's that's the really big uh, organisational change that's happening. And this is going to be a body which is supposed to be independent from government. It's got to hold government to account um, as, as the European Commission uh, Environmental uh, DG would have done in the past and the European Court of Justice. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see how that works because uh, this is something which a lot of environmental groups think is a huge uh, uh, gap in the legislation that as we leave the European Union. Um, but it'll be a, a body focusing on government, not on, not on uh, farmers. Uh, the existing environmental uh, regulators, Environment Agency, Natural England, uh, they remain in place. And they're the ones who are probably going to be focused on by the Office 
of environmental protection. Okay. Thanks for now then, Andrew. Let's, um, obviously, this is a very, very long bill, and uh, you've highlighted some of the main parts. But uh, I want to bring Diane in now and, and really to try and explain uh, to members, well, perhaps some of the measures that are in this bill that are more likely to impact uh, on farmers uh, and growers themselves. So, Diane, do you, do you want to give us a bit of a, your thoughts on what the key key bits are? Yes, and Andrew's outlined um, some of those already, but with such a large bill, we've had to be quite specific about the areas where we focused our, our lobbying efforts. And I guess that's been underlined in some of our discussions with government and during this early stage, the common stage, as the bill progresses through Parliament, because it appears that there seems to be well, there seems to be very little appetite to change the bill, so we've had to be very focused on our priority areas. So the two areas of priority for us at this stage in the bill's progress have been those in relation to abstraction licensing, and also on conservation covenants. So. Um, in relation to covenants, firstly, these are voluntary agreements between a landowner and a third party to enable landowners to make long-term commitments to conservation. Essentially, what we want to do is to ensure that there's absolute clarity on the face of the bill to ensure that landowners do not sign up to a covenant unwittingly. So as drafted in the bill, an agreement only needs to meet certain tests or criteria for it to be deemed to be a covenant. So it doesn't actually need to say that it is one. Um, and I think what we want to ensure is that farmers and landowners are aware of the seriousness and the significance of entering into an agreement. This is a this is not just a contract, it's a covenant and it binds successors and title and in perpetuity. So we're asking that the bill requires uh, an agreement to expressly state that it is a covenant. There are a number of other aspects of concern on covenants. Um, I won't go through them all, but two additional areas that we would like to see include um, payment obligations written into the contract. So that it, it's important that these are written into a contract, particularly if the covenant is transferred and should a responsible body or that third party um, become insolvent, then the obligations to continue the payments should, continu should continue. Um, and then one of the other aspects is in relation to these responsible bodies, or the in other words, the third parties that farmers or landowners are entering into agreement with. Uh, we, they must demonstrate that all of their main activities relate to conservation. Um, obviously, that wouldn't apply to local authorities or charities, but that's just another example of our interests in terms of uh, the bill and things that we would like to see change. I think what we're particularly concerned about is that um, there's confidence in these um in these areas, these um, covenants in future, farmers are absolutely key to the delivery and that trust or that confidence in, um, in, in these shouldn't be um, undermined. Um, another area that we're particularly keen on um, talking to MPs and government about include the provisions on abstraction licensing. Um, we're particularly strongly opposed to the proposals within the bill to revoke or vary abstraction licences without compensation. And also extremely concerned that this can take place with a low evidential bar or test in terms of harm to the water environment. 
And this is one aspect for the bill which we believe could particularly undermine business uh, viability and productivity. Um, abstraction licences are important for business security, business confidence and investment decisions being made over the years and the knowledge that permission for these licences have been given. Uh, we're particularly concerned about the impact on the irrigated crop sectors, uh, so fruit and vegetables that rely on access to water for the businesses. Um, the other aspect of the proposals on abstraction licences relate to those to remove excess headroom with no compensation. Uh, and what we'd be trying to impress on government and MPs is that there are various reasons why you may not use your licence uh, and because of uh, crop or weather um, or because of weather or crop rotations. So it's particularly important that these, these provisions are amended as well. Okay, so they are they are some of the they, they sound to me pretty significant issues that could affect our members uh, very significantly. And particularly, listen to you talk about covenants and the potential way that may not be worded in in a way people understand what they're signing is 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 quite worrying. So uh, this is this is our main area of lobbying. Then I guess at the moment, you know, is that is that what we're 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 trying to get changed? They're the two areas that we're really concentrating on at the moment. Um, there may be um, opportunities to broaden the scope of our lobbying when we, um, when the bill moves to the Lords. It's still currently in the Commons, but at the moment, the two areas that we're focusing on are conservation covenants and abstraction licensing. Mm. Okay, and then um, we'll perhaps come back to that. But then looking at, you know, some of the other aspects of the bill, I think, Andrew, just coming back to you, are there, you know, I was looking at the nature and biodiversity bit and the you know the the duty on public authorities and stuff like that should we be concerned about that is that does that have a knock-on effect for our members or is that purely just about um, public authorities um it, it could well do i mean this is where um uh, at the moment there's been a succession of legislation countryside rights away act back in 2000 picked this up um where uh, there's been a, a duty to have regard to biodiversity in, in plans and projects. And then, of course, the Habitats Directive, which is actually implemented in uh, UK legislation as part of the transition from the EU, uh, that also requires appropriate assessment of projects and plans. Um, this, is, uh, this is taking it one notch up. Um, and uh, making an obligation all public authorities, and actually I'll go back to uh, uh, some principles in a moment or two as well, because uh, it applies to ministers as well. Uh, but their biodiversity does have a bigger say in terms of decision-making under this, this bill. And I think it goes back to a point, Kevin, which I think is really important all the way through our lobbying. Um, it's always about that balance between uh, economic development, food production, and environment, and we always seek to see have an uh, have a balance in terms of that. And uh, I think what you see here in the environment bill is uh, one part of that uh, set of scales. Without any other part of the set of scales, our job has got to play through some of those uh, scenarios to see where ministers would uh, fall down in terms of weighing up that uh, that balance between the two things. And, and talking of ministers, I think it's only a matter of a, a week or so ago that, that you met with uh, uh, Definite Minister Rebecca Powell. Um, how did that meeting go? What, what were the sorts of issues we were trying to get across there? 
uh, again, it was picking up the points that Diane made about conservation covenants, and particularly uh, we pushed the abstraction licensing point as well, because um, one of the things, I mean, in a sense, many might be a bit surprised to see a Conservative minister uh, taking away rights, uh, land rights, in, ta- in terms of uh, abstraction without any compensation. Uh, now, we know that uh, Minister Power went up to the broads to go and look at uh, abstraction up there and the impact on uh, special areas of conservation and triple SIs, for example, um, back in the beginning of this year. And uh, so she's seen at first hand uh, how those uh, uh, how the assessment of impact uh, can uh, impact on farm businesses the, um, where an environmental um, impact is seen. And uh, it really goes back to this clause about uh, being able to take away abstraction rights, which are uh, granted as of right with land in perpetuity without any compensation at all. Um, mm-hmm. Did she listen to us? She listened to us. Did she commit to any change? No, not at the present moment. But this is what the parliamentary process is all about. It's about raising concerns, pushing them privately, and then pushing them in more publicly. And uh, while I know that uh, we will be focused on two things in the in the Commons. When it goes into the Lords, there is a huge opportunity to go and broaden out uh, the number of issues we pick up and the detail of them. And I know the Lords will be looking at this sort of provision very, very carefully. Okay, so I guess for, for members that would happen to be meeting MPs at the moment, um, it's very simple messages probably around the covenant then and, and around abstraction licences, is it? Um, is that what we'd be saying to them to raise? Yes, certainly at the present moment. Um, I think those are the, the, the sorts of things which are most obviously impacting on farm businesses. And, and uh, you know, the, the conservation covenants, um, you know, is it, is it right? The sort of questions I'd be asking, MP, is it right that a, a land occupier, a tenant, could find themselves uh, managing a piece of land without any knowledge at all that a conservation covenant is in place on that land, that they might be bidding for a piece of land, might even be buying a piece of land. And it's not clear that that there is that obligation over the land. So we want to make it a lot more explicit when it's entered into, both for the people involved in it and their future successors. Okay. Thanks both. And then um, look, I guess just to, to, to finish off then, um, is, is there anything else, Diane, first, and, uh, you know, Perhaps we ought to just flag up. We've covered some of the big issues. Is there anything else? If there isn't, don't worry. But I just just want to make sure we've flagged anything that's quite important in this that we'd want to highlight to members. There are a couple of aspects that we would welcome within the bill, which might be worth flagging. Um, so there are a couple of elements that I can just go over at the moment. So um, the bill does give provision to amend the Land Drainage Act, um, which will allow the expansion or creation of new internal drainage boards. Um, and I know that this would be particularly welcome in some parts of the country where it there has been um, a desire to create or expand um, IDBs, and they have been held back because they haven't. Uh, we haven't seen the update or the uh, provisions, the amend uh, the land drainage act. So that's that's welcome from from our perspective. It also introduces measures to tackle waste crime, which I think is helpful because farmers are quite often the victims of waste crime. So we're pleased to see that the bill puts measures in place to to deal with and address this illegal activity. Um, there are perhaps a couple of other things that I would flag. So, um, um, 
the bill hasn't quite reached royal assent yet. We don't expect it to reach royal assent until perhaps the middle of next year. But already there are various discussions taking place about what this new Office for Environmental Protection looks like, what this new the new watchdog, the new oversight body might look like. It was meant to be in place by early next year when we leave the EU. But of course, the bill doesn't have royal assent yet. So it's likely that there'll be an interim office for environmental protection in place. We might hear a little bit more about that shortly. So members might hear, for example, that uh, government uh, may announce quite shortly who the the new chair of this, um, this new interim body may be. And government has already started thinking about what new targets it might new environmental targets it might put in place. So a couple of months ago, it published a policy paper setting out what a new framework for new environmental targets might look like. The bill itself only says that government can set new targets, but this policy paper that was published actually starts uh, discussing the framework and the roadmap of what these new targets may look like in future. Um, so we're keeping a close eye on that in terms of its impact on agriculture. Um, and there may members also might hear about these local nature recovery strategies. Provision has also been given for these in the Environment Bill but there are a number of pilots that are being set up around the country to test what this spatial planning element of uh, nature recovery might look like. Um, so it's just worth flagging that although the bill hasn't reached royal assent, there are a number of aspects of the bill that are already fleshing out um, and uh, members may hear about. Okay, thanks, Dan, very much. Andrew, is there anything else you wanted to add in terms of really to flag? Um, well, I'm going to. Uh, the thing I'd pick out is clause 16 and 17, which is about uh, the principles uh, of of, uh, of government policy. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to be very interested to see how government, how ministers interpret things like the precautionary principle, the polluter pays principle. In the bill, it actually says that the uh, government has got to create an environmental statement about how these policy principles would be applied uh, and in which conditions. And uh, I, I think it's going to be uh, really interesting to see how that, that is taken forward. Uh, you can understand that there are circumstances in which government has to make a decision, ministers have to make a decision, where not all the facts are available. Uh, and, you know, you, you, you might be tempted to take a precautionary approach in that case. Well, Yes, but what about uh, how, how do you take into account uh, management and mitigation of risks and, and uh, a lack of knowledge? So uh, we're going to be looking really closely at that process and how government actually interprets it in the years ahead or the months ahead as, as they develop that. And it is something I wish would, I would highlight uh, uh, to uh, members that while the legislation is one piece of the, the policy jigsaw, uh, the actual guidance and the statutory instruments, and then, of course, how ministers and, and officials interpret it. All that's really important as well. So, uh, you know, we might get royal assent for this bill uh, next summer, as, as Diane suggests, uh, but there's an awful lot more water going under the bridge in terms of the environment bill and how it impacts on farm businesses in uh, several years from now. 
Andrew, thank you very much. And look, and, and thank you to both of you. I think what we've demonstrated in the last 20 minutes is that, you know, this is a really important piece of legislation that is going through at the moment uh, for members. Um, we've seen a lot of talk recently about the agriculture bill, but in many ways, this has got as equally as important aspects to it that will affect uh, the way uh, farmers can farm. Uh, for the future in, in, the, in the long run. And uh, quite rightly, we are keeping an eye on this. Um, as ever, there is more information uh, for members on our work on this and all other aspects on NFU online. Uh, but for now, um, Andrew and Diane, thank you very much. Uh, thank you to those listening. Um, our next podcast uh, for next week is going to look at the NFU's work uh, in the supply chain, particularly during the COVID crisis. Um, so uh, I look forward to talking to some colleagues on that next week. Uh, for now, uh, thank you all very much and thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>